This is the Woodland Hills Family Church Podcast. Our desire is to inspire you and your family to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now enjoy today's message with Ted Cunningham. We're in John 19 and verse 17. As we talk today about the death of Jesus, carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Today we are talking about the man, Jesus Christ, the man on the middle cross. And what we want to do today is we want to walk through the seven statements that Jesus made from the cross and what those seven statements say about Jesus. We're going to look at what the death of Jesus accomplished for you and for me and for our salvation But in this moment and in this scene, as we step into the crucifixion of Jesus, he is still speaking and teaching and leading. And these seven statements tell us so much about our Savior. And so we're going to walk through each statement and what it says about Jesus as we learn today and step into this scene. We're going to start with the first statement from Luke 23, 32 through 34, Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And here's where we get the first statement of Jesus. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. We have to be very clear here what Jesus is saying and what he is not saying. Jesus here is speaking of their ignorance, not their innocence. Say that again. He's speaking of their ignorance. They don't fully understand what they're doing, but they are not innocent. Forgiveness is not needed for innocent people. Forgiveness is needed for guilty people. And to remind each and every one of us in here, before you place faith in Jesus, the scripture says that you are of your father, the devil, and a child of darkness. For there is none righteous, no, not one. For the wages of sin is death. We all stand before God in our sin guilty. We're not innocent from birth. And sometimes we get that. We're, we have to understand the scripture even teaches we're conceived in iniquity. Okay, and Jesus is saying, Father, forgive us. So this is a declaration of guilt. But it's also understanding that Jesus forgives. And with his death on the cross... He brings us salvation. And it says, and they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And the first thing we want to learn about Jesus today from this statement is he intercedes for us. If you're a believer in Christ Jesus, you've placed faith alone in Christ alone. You need to know at this very moment, Jesus is interceding for you. He's interceding for me. We talk about the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus next week. We can talk about the ascension, but often it gets missed the intercession the intercession that Jesus makes for you and for me. If you're not a believer, you've never placed faith alone in Christ alone, you need to understand the scripture says there is but one mediator between God and man, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 34 says, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of the Father and is also interceding for us. We are guilty but Jesus saves. We are guilty, Jesus forgives. We're not innocent. And here he is talking clearly about their ignorance. They didn't have the full understanding of who they were killing. 
They acted in this ignorance. The second statement from the cross is continuing in Luke 23, verses 39 through 43. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. But this man has done nothing wrong. Jesus is the only perfect one to walk the earth. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered, and here's the second statement from the cross. Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And today this second statement teaches us something great about Jesus. Follower of Jesus, Jesus is preparing a place for us. He's preparing a place for us. He said in John 14, 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. And there's a clip, and you may be seen. It's an older clip from Alistair Begg online. It's called Man on the Middle Cross. And this, I've watched, this is one of those clips you will never get tired of watching. It's two minutes. You'll never get worn out with this clip. It gives me chills when I watch it in this service like it did the first time I watched it years ago as it did in the last service. And it paints such a beautiful picture of this thief on the cross when he enters the place When he enters paradise, check this out. If you were to die tonight and and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this. Because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person. Because he. Because he. Think about the thief on the cross. And what an immense... I I, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him. How did that shake out for you? Because you 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 were cussing the guy out with your friend. You've never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You, never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and, yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because like, I don't know. Well, you know, we... Excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor ranger. So we have just a few questions for you. First of all, are you, are, you, are, you, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? The guy said, I never heard of it in my life. And, and what about, let's just go to the doctrine of scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually in frustration, he says, on, on what basis are you here? And he said, The man on the middle cross said, I can come. Now, now, that's the, that is the only answer. That is the only answer. Why do you even need to say anything after that? The man on the middle cross said, I could come. 
The third statement from the cross we get from John 19, 25 through 27. And, and, and to really set this statement up, you, the agony and the suffering of our Savior and what he's going through. I don't know how you are when you're sick, but when I'm sick, and not even badly sick, I, I think of nobody else. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, your needs mean nothing to me. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You want to get better. We have to step into this scene, the agony and the suffering of our Savior, and watch what happened. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved, John, standing nearby, he said to her, woman, Here is your son, the third statement from the cross. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And look at what the scripture says. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. In the middle of this suffering and this agony, Jesus takes the time to make sure his mother is cared for. And this is an important understanding for those who are brand new to the church or maybe brand new to the scene of the cross. We need to understand Jesus cares for us. He cares for us. And this is something to reconcile for those who like he is the creator and sustainer of the universe. He is holding it all together. He's all powerful. Certainly he doesn't care about my little needs and I'm here to tell you yes, he does. So with all that that takes and all the power that he has, certainly he doesn't want my little whining or my little complaining or the things I get frustrated with or the things I need help with or the things I just want to take to him and be like, this is going on with you. He cares for you. The suffering servant, the suffering savior cares for you in the midst of this. I don't know if you saw this picture. It's been turned into a meme and, and, and some of the memes have like a mocking tone to it. And it's this picture of Mel Gibson sitting on set of The Passion of the Christ. And maybe you've seen the meme that says, this is me telling my problems to Jesus. And and the tone of some of them that you might have seen or the way people comment on it is, don't bother. Got too much going on. He's, He's saving the world from sin. But I'm here to tell you, terrible meme. Jesus wants you to bring your cares to him. He wants you to bring your struggles. He wants you to bring your difficulties. He cares for you. The fourth statement from the cross, Matthew 27, 45 through 46, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. This was a supernatural occurrence. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This great statement of agony as he takes on the sins of the world. And the father turns his back on his son. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The fourth thing we learn from this fourth statement is that Jesus carried the weight of our sin. Very important to understand. He was sinless. He was the perfect Son of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 helps us understand this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. With his death on the cross, he carried every sin you've committed up until this very moment. 
He carried the sin that you will continue to commit. He carried that and that weight is why he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The fifth statement as we come to the, to the end of his crucifixion, as we come to him drawing his last breath, we read in John 19 verses 28 through 29, later knowing that everything had now been finished, everything foretold of the earthly life of Jesus had been accomplished in this moment and up to this moment, so that scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus said, I am thirsty. Yeah, just how profound this is. The living water, Jesus, saying, I am thirsty. We see that he is fully God, yes, and he's fully man. This here is a statement of Jesus and his humanity. A jar of wine vinegar, this is different than the first wine he was offered that would have numbed him, and he wanted to be fully conscious for what he was about to do. The jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to the lips of Jesus. Why is this statement important? Jesus understands our weakness. God took on flesh. I mean, there's so much theology in these statements and what has has been accomplished through the death of Jesus on the cross for us. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Empathy is saying, you are hurting and that matters to me. And we have one. Going back to Jesus cares for me. He understands what we go through. But we have one who is tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. The sinless one. The final two statements from the cross, John 19, 30, the sixth statement. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. Very important for us to understand. He is not saying, I am finished. He is saying, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. We learn from this that Jesus fulfilled the prophecy of Scripture and the will of his Father. And in the final statement from the cross, Luke 23, 44 through 46, it was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining. And catch this in verse 45. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. This is now making a statement of access to the Father. Jesus called out with a loud voice. This is his final statement. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. And what great care this is for us. And Jesus, with his death, and with this scene that we have, gives us access to the Father. Complete and full access to the Father. If you've been in an airport, you have seen this, this sign, this scene, and... Uh, I, I think about this almost every time I see this sign because it's like, and I'm going to really build this up so just this is me thinking thoughts of people. This isn't just me. Uh, but it's like, you know, all the gems, like diamond, ruby, emerald, you medallion, successful people, you come over here, right? You take that red carpet ride right there. You people who've done nothing with your life, <laughs> you are general boarding. You're just general board. You know what? This is groups one through four. 
Some of you, raise your hand if you've ever been group nine. Would you raise your hand? Group nine. Do something. Let's move you up to group seven or eight. I don't know what we got to do. But I, I've been in this scene, I don't know how many times. It's, it's, I've, I've, been, I've, been, I've been with a whole family, and you've seen Tim Hawkins. He jokes about this too, where he's like, all right, you know, by the time you get to group seven, eight, and nine, people are walking on with their chickens, you know, and like, it's like, no. <laughs> you unwashed masses, you go to the right. You stay off a red carpet, right? So, but this is, this is our, this, our culture can get wrapped up in this. I, I was actually, I've been there standing in line at general boarding at, at some gates sometimes where they only have, you know, one lane and, and they'll say, you know, the number that's time and, and like they come out and, and they'll close it off. Like it, after they get the important people on the plane, they'll like bring that thing over and set it down and you have to stand there. And I mean, they just like look at you, I go, you know, I, I have a good marriage, you know, and a good family. <laughs> I feel I've succeeded at some things, maybe not the things that make me medallion or, or highest priority ruby, you know, special deal. I was actually at one, this is no lie, and I don't know what her issue was that day, but after the super successful elite people took the red carpet ride onto the plane, and I'm not exaggerating, it's only happened once in my 25 years of all, she actually went out before group five and rolled up the red carpet. <laughs> Not exactly. I don't know who made her mad, and she put it over to the side. And I'm like, and I'm looking at people in the gate going, we don't want your feet touching. You people who haven't bathed in weeks. I think this is exactly how people look at the church. There are super elite, special commando Christians. They have studied the Bible. They know it. There is a certain way to read the Bible. There is a certain way to preach the Bible. I've been fighting those guys my whole life. And there's a certain way to do this and a certain way to do that. And it's like, we are groups one through four. Let me tell you, Jesus had his strongest words to say for group one when it came to the people who thought they had the best access to God. He had his strongest words to say to them because guess what? There are no groups in the church. There are no super elite commando Christians. And you go, no, no, that's not true. Certainly, I'm going to be way back in line from that guy who spent his life studying the Bible. No, you won't. That's called folk theology. It's bad theology. For you to think your place in line is determined by the amount of money you gave to the church. No, Jesus determined your access to the Father, not your giving. Church attendance doesn't, does not determine your access to the Father. Jesus gave you full and complete access to the Father. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And there's not groups one through nine. Like, Ted, that can't be. She knows the Bible better than me. Certainly she has better, nope, she doesn't. He's been a believer longer. Certainly he has better, nope, he doesn't have better access. He's a leader in the church. She's a leader in the church. Certainly they have better... Nope, does not have better access. Comes from a better family. Your family does not gain you access into God's kingdom. Jesus did that with his death on the cross. And when the veil tore, that was the statement of, this, he is now your access. You have 100% access through him. I think Billy Graham was making that exact statement. When you, when, if you watched his funeral, you saw that his coffin, his casket was made by Louisiana prisoners. And I thought, what a great last illustration for a sermon for Billy Graham. Because we think Billy Graham, some of you are going, I ain't Billy Graham. Guess what? You got the exact same access to the father Billy Graham had. 
you understand, there are people going, I know I don't buy this. I have to really gain my, I got to get more miles. Get more miles, get more upgrades. He was making the statement, hey, these prisoners have the same exact access to the Father that I do. You have access. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Peter says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. John says this in verse 35, our last passage in the gospel of John. The man who saw it, saw all that was taking place, And all that we read has given testimony. And his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you also may believe. In 1 John 5, 13, we read, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. And this is what we want for everyone. So that you may know. You may know. You may have confidence in your walk with Jesus and knowing what he did for you. We want you to know that you have eternal life. R.C. Sproul says, In any church gathering, in any gathering of God's people where they're lost and there are the believers gathered together, there will be four types of people in every gathering and only four types. He says the first one is the one who is not saved and knows it. And, and that, that person will be here in our three services today. They're not saved, and they know it, and they're clear about it, and they're asking questions, and they're saying, this is my first time. I've been brought here by someone else, and and you know, you've never placed faith in Jesus, that today would be the day that you would leave here knowing that you repented of your sin, you repented of your ways that lead to destruction, and you turn to the one who was on the middle cross, and he gives you full and complete access to the Father. There are those in here who are not saved, but you think you are. It's because you've been counting on your ways, your family, your giving, your attendance, your knowledge, the good things that you've done in the community, the ways you treat people. You have all sorts of reasons why you believe you're saved. You think you are, but you are not. There's a third group. You were saved, but live without. This is when we can start to drift. And we see it all the time. People begin drifting in their faith. They place faith in Jesus. I think you see so many of the epistles that Paul writes. He's going back to the church and he's saying with them, don't drift. Right? Jesus said in Revelation to the church at Ephesus, you're drifting. You're doing a lot of great things still, but you've forgotten your first love. So faith drift happens all the time. People come to know the Lord. They're fired up. They're in church and in Bible study. They're praying. They're reading their Bible. They're spending time with other believers and then give it time and they start to drift away. And when they begin that drift, they begin to think, well, maybe I'm not a Christian. We don't want you living with doubt. We want you to know that you are saved. And that is the fourth, he says. You are saved and you know it. You have confidence in it. I, we've had, you know, we had these evangelists come into our church when I was growing up. And I loved a lot of them, but there were a couple of them that just absolutely wore me out. And I can remember at 10 years old getting frustrated with them. Because we'd be, it, we're, we were a small church growing up, and they'd, they'd give an altar call, which I was going, get back to them altar call, right? We'd do an altar call. The evangelist would step down. 
And he'd start asking people to come forward for salvation. No one would come forward. Man, this guy get ticked off. I mean, he was mad. You could see it all over him. Like, come on. I'm here. If people get saved. But I'd look around going, I know everybody in here. We, we're all saved. Not only are we saved, we've been saved multiple times. Like, we've been saved and baptized. And we're here Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. But by the third or fourth verse, if no one came down, he'd go after us. Oh, it wore me out. I'm 10 years old. You can say, you're like, your mouth always got you in trouble. Yeah, it always did because I'd look, he'd go like this. He'd go, do you know that you know that you know that you know? And at 10, I'm going, well, I thought I knew. You put it like that, I don't know. Probably not. Be like, dad, if I go up there, can we go home? I'll take one for the team. Let's get this thing going. I'll get saved and baptized again. But I just, this was my 10-year-old brain looking at these guys going, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you wanting us to doubt? That makes absolutely no sense to me. Bro, I'm here. Man, I've decided to follow Jesus. I'm marching in the Lord's army. I'm flying over the enemies. I'm fully here. I'm in. I've placed my faith in the man on the middle cross. His name is Jesus. Quit giving me all this garbly gook about how I'm not. I hope we have no visiting evangelists with us today. <laughs> Just do it the right way. That you may know. Your job's not to cause people to doubt. Point them to Jesus. We shouldn't end messages with them. Just keep pointing to our works. My works are filthy rags. It's the man on the middle cross. And that's the invitation for every single one in here that's never placed faith in Jesus today. I'm not going after the believers who know. If you know, we're praising our Father in heaven. The one who's never placed faith in Jesus, here's the invitation for you today, and it's this simple. The man on the middle cross invites you to be with him for eternity. It's that simple. It's that simple that you would receive that invitation today. Would you pray with me? And as we pray and... I'm just going gonna, gonna to pray a prayer for those online, for those here in the room. You've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, that today is the day you stop the first person and you turn to the third person because he, because Jesus. Where you're at, whether that is at home or in this room or outside, repent of your sins and your ways that are leading to destruction. The wages of sin, it's death. Just repent of it. Cry out, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that he's been raised from the dead. That you would be saved. Call out the name that is above every name. He invites you to spend eternity with him. He went to the cross so you could. Father, I pray uh, for believers who may be in drift. We've seen it a lot over the pandemic getting out of habits and, and disciplines. And for the one who's in drift, that, that that drift wouldn't be something that, that leads them to doubt, but would just challenge them to lean more into you. That we would be sure of our salvation because of what Jesus did for us. And so today, we have remembered his death. We remembered his death last week as we took the Lord's Supper together. And we are grateful. We are a grateful people. 
For the one who is not saved, that today is the day of their salvation. For the one who is, that they would live with a confidence and an understanding and a gratefulness for what the man on the middle cross, Jesus Christ, did for us. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. And everyone agreed and said, Amen. Amen.